Amen. Happy New Year, you guys. So great to see you. Missed you last week. Good to be back. Uh, I want to talk today about, it's Vision Sunday. I want to talk about how we can do some great things together uh, in partnership with God and each other uh, here in our city and in our world. Uh, before I get into the content, though, I need to talk about how I almost became a rock star in the year 2000. Is this believable? So how many of you actually saw Bono in the Elevation Tour? Most of you weren't even born yet. All right, so like five of us. I'm talking to the five of you. Did you see like when it was at Pepsi? Was that not amazing? So that night, if you weren't there, which none of you were, um, there was, he had a heart. He, they they re-signed up to be the greatest rock band in the world that year. They had kind of a, a falling out with their previous album. They came into town. They had a heart-shaped stage. Bono's out there swooning women on the stage, and he's running around sweating and jumping and stuff. And I thought, this guy is so cool. And that began a bromance with Bono that lasted, well, it's still going on. <laughs> And so I read everything that Bono ever, ever wrote. I fell in love with all of his music. And then I fantasized about, wow, wouldn't it be cool to be a rock star? And I fantasized about myself being a rock star. I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could be like Bono and I could, I could write music and I could lace my lyrics with, like, obscure scriptures from Old Testament prophets that nobody reads and, like, subversively share the gospel with the whole world and have the paparazzi following me and be popular and all that and drive nice cars. And so this fantasy took, took hold of me for a while. But a few problems. One, I don't sing. I don't dance. My wife always leaves when we dance because I have zero rhythm, nor do I, I play an instrument. But I do have some great air band moves. And I would show you these air band moves, but I have sciatica today because I'm turning 60 here in a few days. And I would be writhing in pain if I jumped and showed you my air band moves. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. I had a vision, but I didn't have a plan. I had a vision, but I didn't have a plan. Many of you, us, we've set goals for this year, and we have a vision. We've, we've got a dream, but we don't have a plan. A vision without a plan that you persistently pursue in partnership with other people. Because if you, you have a vision and you can accomplish it on your own, it's too small. A vision without a plan you persistently pursue in partnership with others is just a fantasy. I was just fantasizing about being a rock star. Many of us have goals, and those goals really are just a fantasy. Unless we have a plan we persistently pursue with other people who encourage us, coach us, and hold us accountable. Are you, are you tracking with me right now? It's easy to throw up pixie dust at the beginning of the year and get a dopamine rush as we think about dreams and visions and whatnot. But if we don't have a plan that we persistently pursue in partnership with other people, our visions will never become a reality. All right? So uh, today we're going to talk about our vision as a church. And we're going to talk about how we have this very simple plan for how we can partner up with each other to accomplish that vision. So some of you are here for the first time or you've come back because you came on Christmas Eve. You picked a great weekend to be here because you're going to learn a ton about our church. And for those of you who are going to become partners with us today, I'm super excited you're here because I'm going to ask you to give everything but your firstborn child. So here we go. Here we go, all right? Uh, God's vision for our church is based on Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And it says this. Uh, Jesus came to them and said, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So here Jesus is giving his mission, make disciples. He's giving his vision. He wants the whole world to be discipled. So Jesus didn't throw his weight around a whole lot. As we'll see in a little bit, he came to serve, not to be served. But here he kind of does. He says, I've been given all the authority in the whole universe. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So listen up. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples. 
Uh, Matthew is sending out this letter to churches throughout the Middle East. And so these are disciples hearing this. And they're, they're hearing Jesus say to them through his word, I want every disciple to be a disciple maker. Every disciple is to be a disciple maker. And as you make disciples, the first thing you do is you're to baptize them as we are today at 1215. A number of you came to faith over Christmas or this last year. And today you're putting your marker down and you're getting baptized. Why do we baptize people? Number one, because Jesus told us to. He told us to. We, we are to obey his commands. The first thing he tells a new disciple to do is get baptized. The second reason we get baptized is because it's a way of expressing our gratitude. So these people getting baptized today, they're saying as they go into the water, God, thank you so much for washing away my sins and making them a non-issue. And thank you for raising me up and giving me a new life and placing your Holy Spirit inside of me. Thank you for letting me be a part of the most important mission in the world, bringing heaven to earth. That's what they're saying to us. And then he says we're to teach them to obey his commands. Not just know his commands, but to obey his commands. And all of his commands are summarized in the, the, the two big ones. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the commands of Jesus are basically a how-to manual teaching us how to love God and love people better. And then finally, he gives us this great promise. He says, I will be with you. It's not like he says, okay, go do this. You're on your own. Good luck out there. He's saying, I will be with you as you go out into the world to make disciples and be disciples and make disciples and baptize them and teach them to obey. I will be with you. I will give you the strength and the wisdom that you need. Is that good news? Okay. So our vision, Jason and Molly mentioned it earlier. Um, if you are, keep coming around here, you're going to hear this over and over again. We just keep it on repeat is to be a global movement of everyday disciples making disciples for generations to come. And last year, Restoration, we had our best year ever. I mean, we saw God do the most amazing things last year. So 2022, in review, just the numbers, we got lots and lots of stories. Uh, locally, we had over 400 baptisms. Hey, hold the applause. I like the whistles, though. I like the whistles. Uh, 1,300 baptisms globally mainly uh, in the U.S. and India as well as locally. Uh, we now have over 700 simple churches locally. We had 450 uh, simple churches started primarily in India, but we've probably got about 40 or 50 right now in the U.S. And so God is doing something really, really amazing. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's time we can celebrate. What do you think? Put our hands together. <laughs> what happened last year should leave us standing in awe of what God has done. We got to participate in that, but that was a God thing that happened last year. Uh, one story comes to mind. Joe Stewart will be preaching here in a few weeks, and he, uh, this is just an example of how this growth is taking place. Joe's been pouring into a guy named Justin McLaughlin who's been uh, making disciples on East Colfax and Castle Rock. And as he's been, as Justin has been discipling people, uh, in the last few weeks, five more people have been baptized. That's how this is happening. One person disciples somebody. I'll, I'll clap with you, Zach. There we go. Thank you. Me and you. Me and you, baby. I see you. And then they make disciples. They make disciples. And that's how people are being reached. And what's really cool is, for the most part, we're pretty invisible. Like, not many people know about our church. We're like a little secret. Most of our disciples in our simple churches have never even heard of restoration. It's because it's multiplying. Is that cool? So uh, we've been praying about what we think God would want us to do this next year. And so just to share that with you. Uh, we're kind of putting our marker down this morning and saying this is what we're chasing this year, 2023. We'd like to double the number of baptisms. We're off to a great start. We had 75 on uh, New Year's Day. I don't have any. We're having today, but more today. Uh, 1,000 simple churches, so it would be a, a net of 300 new ones. 
2,000 new baptisms globally, 1,000 simple churches globally. I'm heading to India in a few weeks to do some more training over there. And we believe uh, that with God's help, we can see this vision become a reality. Is that something you guys can get behind? Come on, let's go. Uh, restoration, we're becoming like the church in Antioch. If you read in Acts 13, there was this church in, in Antioch, and uh, it grew rapidly in that city, but it primarily was about being a sending church. You know, one of our values is we're a river, not a lake. We, we want to give away resources. We've given away $3 million since we started. The money we raised in the, the year, we're giving that away. We also want to give away people. We want to send people out. We want to send you out every single week to be disciples that make disciples. And to lead simple churches that start simple churches. And so we're becoming like this church in Antioch that was a movement church. It wasn't just a church growth church where they hung on to everybody. They kept pushing people out and they reached thousands and then later millions. And what's happening here in our city is really, really special. There are movements going on all over the world. Since 1990, 1,800 movements have been started in the world. But there hasn't been a, a, a movement in the West that's been sizable. Almost all the movements have taken place in the global south and in the east. And for years, we were falling behind. The church, church was falling behind population growth globally. And now we're 2% ahead of uh, population growth. We just cracked 8 million pe billion people. And it's because of these movements around the world that are numbering in the thousands and millions of people. But there hasn't been a significant movement in the west. And missiologists, people who study the movements of God in the world... They're saying the movement that we're a part of right now in Denver is the fastest growing largest movement in the Western world. Is that incredible? To God be the glory. To God be the glory. It's not because of us, it's because of him. He's the one that's making this happen. We get to participate. We get to partner with him. There, there have been people praying for a movement in Denver for years and years, decades before it began. Faithful prayer warriors, and now it's happening. It's really, really cool. So uh, let's talk about how we can partner with God and with each other to see these goals accomplished and see the movement grow. Uh, three things we can do. Um, number one is we can all seek God this year and grow as followers of Jesus. This is the most important thing any of us can do. It's always intimacy with God before it's impact for God. The most important thing you can do for us as a church is just simply seek God. Stay first love focused. Love him with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Keep pursuing him, pursuing him, pursuing him. And we'll talk about how to do that more here in a few moments. Um, number two, that every disciple at, in our church would make a disciple. If every single one of us would pray and ask God to use us to make one more disciple, our movement would double this year and we'd see these goals accomplished. And then number three, that every simple church would start one more simple church. Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen 3, we have some that are Gen 7 and beyond that every simple church, every spiritual family would start one more simple church. And if you're new to our church, I'll define what a simple church is here in a few moments. I know a lot of this stuff's like going over your head. We'll, we'll catch up as we go through the message today. Now, this is where most of us start to disqualify ourselves, right? Like, wait, wait, wait. Me? Make a disciple? My simple church? I'm not even in one. You know, we start disqualifying ourselves pretty quickly when... when we're confronted with what God wants to do with our lives. We start making excuses. I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't know the Bible. I'm not mature enough. I'm still addicted to porn. If you only knew what I did this weekend, we start to disqualify ourselves. If that's happening inside of you, then right now, just stop it. That's the devil. You are not disqualified. It's God that qualifies you anyway. None of us are qualified. 
If you go back to the very beginning of this movement we're a part of, it, come, it goes back to 12 disciples. Were they very qualified? Let's see here. We got Judas Iscariot, terrorist, you know, had, had Jesus arrested and killed. Um, let's talk about the big three, Peter, James, and John. James and John, sons of thunder, that was their nickname because they had anger management issues, like big time. They were in a city one time like, hey, you know, they're not responding very well to us. Let's just like rain down sulfur. Let's just pour hell out on this city. What do you think, Jesus? Can you just call down some fire? We got Peter, right? So what happens with Peter? 40 days before he preaches the sermon, the church gets launched, Pentecost happens. He cuts a guy's ear off. Jesus is like, uh, Peter, that's not how we do it. Put it back on there, you know. Uh, you know, and, and, and then, he, then he curses a young girl who, who uh, accuses him of being a disciple of Jesus that night, you know. Denies Jesus three times. These are the people that God has used. If you read the Bible, there's no perfect people. God loves to use imperfect people to reach imperfect people and help them know a perfect God. Please do not disqualify yourself. God wants every single one of us to be a part of his vision this year. So that's our plan. It's a very simple plan. We just have to persistently pursue it. Um, let's seek God together. Let's every disciple in this room try to make one more disciple. And then all of us in simple churches, let's try to start one more simple church. Is that pretty simple? Do you think if we pray and, and seek God, we can actually do that this year? Can I hear an amen from like, that's pretty good. How about all of you? Amen? Amen. 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 All right. All right. So in the time we have remaining, what I want to do with you is I want to help you develop a, a spiritual growth plan. And then I'm going to ask you to sign up to be a partner with us. We can't do this alone. We need every single person in this room to help us. So here's the seven practices. As you came in, you received a sheet. Go ahead and pull that out. It's got the seven practices written down on it. Um, if you're watching online, by the way, welcome. Uh, you can go to our app and you'll see a tab that says partnership and it has the seven practices. And you can follow along with me. Um, as I go through these seven practices, just begin to think about, like, where are you right now with these practices? And, and where could you go next? Okay. And then we'll talk about, like, some steps you can take to implement these practices here in a few moments at the end of the message. So practice number one is uh, self-feeding. It's self-feeding. This is gaining firsthand knowledge of God through learning to hear him speak through the Bible and learning how to talk with him through prayer. So often in churches, if you're a pastor like me, you'll, you'll hear people say, I'm just not getting fed. I'm just not getting fed. Usually when I hear that, I'm thinking that person is still not very mature because they haven't learned to feed themselves. There's a place for sermons. There's a place for podcasts. But they are not a substitute for firsthand experience and knowledge of God. God wants every single person to have a conversational relationship with him. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Now, that was abnormal in the Old Testament era. For people to have that kind of relationship where God speaks to them like a friend. But that's not to be abnormal for those of us who follow Jesus. In fact, it's to be the norm. Jesus said in John 15, he's called us to be friends. And he wants to speak to us. And he wants us to hear him, to hear his voice. And he wants us to respond and learn how to answer him and learn how to talk to him. And so a couple tools we use around here, lots of tools, most of them are on your page, but you can also go to the app. And uh, also, if you become a partner, we'll send all these tools to you later today. And one of the tools that's really helped us around here with this is SOAPS. It stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer, and Share. So that's a way to listen to God. And then we also use CHAT. It's a way to have a balanced prayer life and to respond to what God's saying to you. CHAT stands for Confess, Honor, Ask, and Thank. 
Um, these are simple biblical tools that are highly reproducible, which is why we use them. We like to use tools that we know are based in the scriptures that are simple that we can pass on to other people as we're making disciples. Okay. Um, so how does this look for me? Uh, I, I did it this morning. Uh, woke up, and uh, I'm old, so I stretch a lot. Otherwise, things start to hurt really bad. Take a couple of time off I need to. Start the day. Uh, went for a walk this morning, and as I walked, I worked on chat. I began to confess some sins. Some days that takes longer than other days. Today it was a little longer. And then I honor God for a while. About half my prayer time at prayer walk is just praising God. I sing songs. I just acknowledge his attributes and I just worship him. And that brings me great joy. And then I ask him for things. I start with myself. I ask him to help me that day. I ask him for a lot of help today. And uh, then I pray for my wife. I pray for my kids. Then I pray for like leaders that are like movement leaders in our city and our church. And then I pray for uh, staff and I pray for friends and I pray for I pray for our church, I pray for, I pray for pastors in the city today and the world, and I pray for the movement to grow. I'm praying that God reaches 1% of all the people in Denver in our movement by 2030 and 10% by 2040. I pray that prayer almost every single day. So I just, I'm in the ask portion of the prayer, I just, I'm going through concentric circles, then I spend some time thanking God. I just, I've discovered when I don't thank God enough, I get grumpy. I've been grumpy lately, lately. And I go, I'm not being grateful. So I spend some time thanking God. Came back, back to the house this morning. Got my cup of coffee. Sweet Bloom was the roaster today. Any Sweet Bloom fans? Dude, it's the best coffee in Denver, in my opinion. Anyway, so drank some Sweet Bloom coffee, and I was in Colossians chapter 4. I fixated uh, on uh, verses 5 through 6, wrote down in my journal some observations, made an application, shared that with Joe Stewart, the guy on our team here, one of the everyday missionaries you guys have begun to support, and uh, then got to work. Now, I try to hit five out of seven days a week. Uh, for a couple reasons. One is that's the best I can do. And then two, if I am too regular, this is going to maybe sound a little strange to you, I start to get kind of legalistic about it. It's really easy for me to confuse my, my spiritual disciplines with my relationship with God. The purpose of the spiritual disciplines and the practices we're working on today is to facilitate that relationship to become a self-feeder and become more intimate, but they are not my relationship with God. And so missing a few days keeps me from being a self-righteous, legalistic turd. And that's good for me. That's good for me. Okay. So we want everyone in the church to become a self-feeder this year, to learn to listen to God through the word of God and through his spirit and through one another and to speak to God through prayer. You guys up for that? All right. Because if we're going to partner together to see God do amazing things in 2023, we've got to become self-feeders who are consistently growing in intimacy with God. Um, practice number two, serving others. This is using our time, our treasure, and our talent to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus said it about himself in, in Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To follow Jesus Christ is to be a servant. It's to be a servant, to see yourself as a servant. There's two kinds of people in churches. There are uh, consumers and there are contributors. Now, it's okay to be a consumer for a while. Like if you're just exploring Jesus or you're just exploring a church, you should be a consumer for a while. If you're going through a season where you're emotionally exhausted, you've had a death, you're grieving, or you're going through a divorce, or you're, you're sick, you've taken a financial setback, it's okay for a while just to come and soak and, and consume and be loved on and shepherded and cared for. You just don't want to get stuck there. All right? I mean, if I was up here and I was in a high chair and I was like, okay, feed me, you would go, that's kind of weird. You know, a grown man in a high chair, that's kind of weird, right? It's okay to be in the high chair when you're a baby Christian. 
or when you're struggling, but we have to become, we have to, did I say self-beaters? I'm at a different point. I already said that point. This is what happens when you get older, you guys. <laughs> Wrong illustration. Wrong illustration. Did I miss the high chair earlier? Note to self, use the high chair in the next message. All right. Different illustration, different one. Um, my second master's degree. How's that for a change up? How's that for a change up? Okay. All right. All right. I should use my notes more frequently. Um, I moved here in 1993 to get a second master's degree. And during that time, I was not on a church team. I went to church. I was, I was just a consumer. I did not contribute. And that year, I probably grew less than any other year. I wasn't giving my gifts away. I wasn't using my gifts. I wasn't on a team with other people using their gifts. I was completely a consumer. Uh, there's, we're just not meant to live that way. We're meant to get out of the bleachers and into the field and serve with other people. And the best way to do that around here is our serve team. So we have, we have teams that host and greet you. We have teams that obviously lead the worship, lead the tech. We have baristas. We have one of our most important teams is kids and students. They're right now upstairs discipling our kids. And if you want to get really connected to this church, and if you want to have the fun that we have every week uh, that comes together when you're on a team, then please consider joining our serve team this year. And you're not making a lifetime commitment. Just try one thing just once and see how it goes until you find the team that best serves you. But it's fun. I mean, you meet people. You feel like you're part of the team. You feel like you're more part of the church. We have these huddles that are really, really fun. We come up with goofy sayings and break. And Anyway, it's a lot of fun. So I want to encourage you this year to get in a, uh, on a serve team. But the other place you can serve is with our simple church. In a simple church, everyone gets to play. We, we shrink church down into a home or into a room someplace where everyone gets to use their gifts. Some people have teaching gifts and they get to help people better understand the scriptures. Some people are like shepherds and teachers. They show mercy and they care for people. Other people are more apostolic. And they're going, hey, let's start some more simple churches. Some people are very good at evangelism. They're, hey, we got to share a faith. We all work together in our simple churches using our unique gifts and abilities to serve one another. So that's two ways you can serve. One is join the serve team. The other is to get into a simple church. But again, if our vision's got to become a reality, we all got to use our gifts and serve each other. Number three, practice number three, simple church. Simple church. A simple church is being a part of a spiritual family that uses the three-third process to love God, love one another, and multiply disciples of Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verses 46 through 47. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a description of the early church when it was just beginning. They would get together in their homes and they would encourage each other. They'd look back and they'd encourage each other and thank God for all the things he'd been doing in their lives. They'd look up and they'd learn from God. They'd look ahead and they'd set goals to make disciples and to obey God's word and implement it and embody it in their everyday lives. So my simple church met this week. If you want to know what a simple church does, this is kind of a, this is what most simple churches do. You could drop into any one of our 700 simple churches. It would look something like what happened in my simple church this week. Okay, so we spent some time. We had a meal, pot roast. It was awesome. Uh, I brought a bottle of wine, but everyone was like fasting this week. It was weird. No one even drank wine. It was weird. Uh, delicious meal. We cared for each other. We caught up like what happened during the holidays. And we, we shared prayer requests that we'd prayed for two weeks earlier. And we talked about those. And we just loved on and encouraged each other. Some of the people in our, my simple church are going through some, some challenges right now. We encouraged them. Then we looked up and we looked at uh, Ephesians 2, 11 through 21. We read it. We made some observations. We talked about how we could apply it. Then we looked ahead and we set some goals to, to seek to embody what we had just learned from God 
and we set some goals to share faith and make disciples. Next week, we're getting together, and we're just talking about how we can start more simple churches this year. But generally, we look back, we look up, and we, we look ahead. Here's the point. We all need a spiritual family. None of us can do this alone. None of us was built to be a lone ranger follower of Jesus. If you don't have a spiritual family, you're not going to grow optimally. In fact, you might even get kind of weird. You know, we need people, like, to show us who we are and to relate to us and, and you know, love us, encourage us, but every once in a while kind of lovingly kick us in the rear to help us grow. We all need a spiritual family. So you can sign up for a simple church on our app. Um, also, if you become a partner, we'll send you the, the sign-up form with all the other goodies we're going to send to you here in a little bit. Um, something else you can do is you can go to Multiply. We have a training coming up in February. What's the date? February 11th, Multiply is where we teach people how to grow spiritually, how to make disciples, but we also teach you how to lead a simple church. Some of you could do that. You've got friends you could reach out to and start a simple church this year. But uh, this is one of the things we want to ask everyone to do in our church is everyone, we want everyone to be in a simple church, uh, a spiritual family where you can get encouraged and use your gifts to encourage others. Uh, practice number four is sowing the gospel. Um, this is being prepared to share our story and God's story with the world around us. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, this is Paul speaking. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So Paul's seeing himself as a sower, a sower. And he's saying, okay, and then Paulus came behind me, he watered the seed. It's God who makes things grow. None of us can make a disciple. We can show up, we can share what we know, we can share the gospel, we can share our story. But none of us can make a disciple. Only God can do that. We're seed sowers. It's like that commercial, that football commercial. Uh, we are farmers. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Am I the only one that watches football? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You see that commercial, Billy? Anyway, that's, that's what we are, man. We're like farmers. We're, just like, we're supposed to go out and just sow as much seed as we possibly can. And let's be honest, it takes a lot of seed sometimes to see some fruit. You know, among refugees and immigrants in our city, it doesn't take a lot of sowing. They are ripe. They are spiritual people. But among people who are nationals, post-Christian Denverites, you got to sow a lot of seed. My track rec record last year was pretty bad. I had to share the gospel with a lot of people to see one person come to faith. Like in the last four months of the year, I shared the gospel. I counted around 12 times with 12 different people, Uber drivers, people next to me on planes, you know, just grocery store, wherever. I shared the gospel with a lot of people. Finally, like number 12, somebody actually came to faith. You've got to sow a lot of seed. Don't get discouraged if your friends aren't coming to faith. And besides, you may sow some seed like I did, and it may not come to fruition right now, but maybe someone else is going to come along and water it and will later. Okay. So let's all be seed sowers. Uh, how do you do that? Well, a few tools. One is learn to share your story. We've all got a God story. People may not agree with your theology or your, your presuppositions about life and about God, but they can't disagree with your story. If you share with them what God's doing in your life, that's powerful. Learn to share your story. Uh, we've got tools for that, again, on the app, and we'll send them to you today. Um, God's story. We use this illustration called the three circles. It's been very effective this year. Learn to share the three circles. Uh, prayer list, probably the most important tool you could have in your, your arsenal of tools to be able to share the gospel and see people come to faith. Just pray for people. List your non-Christian friends, Christian friends, put the ones I don't, I'm not sure over here, and just pray for them on a regular basis. Uh, multiply training, you can go, and we'll teach you how to share your story and God's story. And then a new thing this year, we're going to start having harvest days where we actually just go out and we, we go on prayer walks and we pray for people. We find that most of our conversations begin with, with a simple question. Hey, I like praying for people. Is there a way I could pray for you? Um, do you have a, Jordan, do you have a dream? Do you have a wish, something you, you want to see happen this year, a problem you're trying to overcome? Can I just pray with you? Most people will say yes. 
you go that far, chances are you're going to be able to share your story and God's story. So we'll be doing that a lot more this year. Let's learn how to share faith. Let's be seed sowers this year. Amen? All right, stay with me. Okay, a few more. Um, practice number five, sharing what you know about following Jesus. This is discipling other people by sharing with them what Jesus has taught us. 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul says, The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. So there's four generations of discipleship here. Paul shares with some witnesses. One of those is Timothy. He's telling Timothy, he wrote this letter to, now you go find some faithful people and then teach them to share the gospel and find more faithful people. This is about faithfulness. It's about simply sharing what we know with other people. Here, let me demystify what it means to disciple people for you. All it means is you take what God has given you and you share it with somebody else. So one of the tools we use is what we call duckling discipleship. Go to Wash Park today, you'll find a mother duck crossing a road, usually by my street, making me wait. Or you'll see one in a lake and you'll see a mother duck with a bunch of little ducklings behind the mother duck. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. And all they're doing is following the mother duck. Discipleship is we just follow Jesus, we keep our eyes on the mother duck, and then as he's teaching us things, we just keep passing it on to the ducks behind us. That's all discipleship is. Can we all do that? Anything you learn this year, just give it to somebody else. The reason it's soaps, we end with that last S, share it with others, is to just keep us in the habit of always sharing with other people what God is giving us. Ever wonder how we got here today? Like why we're here right now? We're here right now because 12 very imperfect disciples shared and discipled what they knew with 72 other people. And that led to 120 people in an upper room in Acts chapter 1. And they began to share with other people and this huge disciple-making movement began, and we're here today because somebody discipled us. Somebody passed on to us what had been given to them. Let's keep it going. Let's pay it forward. Let's keep discipling others. Practice number six, sacrificial giving. Um, trusting God with our finances by sacrificially giving to his mission for our world. Uh, one day, Jesus is at the temple, and he's like sitting across in the steps going up. And he's having like a brown bag lunch with the other disciples and they're kind of hanging out and stuff. And, and what would happen is people would walk in the temple and they'd drop their tithes and their offerings in these alabaster jars as they would go in the temple. And a lot of these fat cats are going in, they're dropping some serious change in these alabaster jars. And then this, this homeless widow shows up and she puts what she has in, in the jar. And Jesus said, they all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. And then he went on to say, this story will be told until I return. Jesus loves sacrificial giving. Now, what's that mean, sacrificial giving? C.S. Lewis said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. How do you know you're giving enough? It hurts a little bit. There's some things you can't do you could have done, but you can't because you gave. So the, the standard in the Bible is 10%, you know, but I don't know what you're supposed to give. You know, it's something we should shoot for that, but some of you, 10% may be way too little because you've been given so much. Others of you, there's no way you can do that right now. Too much debt, you have a job, you know, you're just getting started, you're paying off student loans. Just do what you can do. If we'll all do what we can do, We'll see God do amazing things. But our goal is to keep growing as generous people. So I get this little giving ladder we, we've used in the past, and it kind of goes like this. When people start hearing about giving and living a generous life, they start off as skeptics. Like, eh, 
I don't know. I mean, these organizations, they're always cheating people. That pastor, he probably drives a McLaren. <laughs> yeah, not a chance. Um, you know, but they always have reasons not, not to give. And then people become sometimes givers. They feel a little impulse because of a hurricane or tsunami or they see a homeless person, they want to give some money away. And they start becoming sometimes givers. Then people become strategic givers. They go, you know, I've got to be thoughtful about this. God's blessed me. I'm going to be accountable for what he's given me. And so I need to become a strategic giver. And they start thinking about percentages. They think about like kingdom return on investment. How can I make the biggest bang for the buck, you know, in the kingdom and seeing disciples made and seeing people encounter the grace of God. And then people become sacrificial givers. Many of you have become sacrificial givers this last year. That's why God blessed us so much. And then ultimately we want to become legacy givers. We want to think about giving after we die. Help our kids out, pay off debts, whatever. But let's also think about how can we give in a way that even after we die, we're still making disciples. We're seeing more of heaven come to earth through God's kingdom and through his people. Um, Let me ask you this. As you reflect on this, where are you right now? No shame. Just where are you right now? Just be honest with yourself. And with God. And where do you want to be this next year? What rung are you on? And what would it look like for you to go to the next rung? Tool here, restoration.church uh, forward slash give if you want to give to our mission. But Jason did this earlier. I want to say a huge thank you. Like financially, we had our best year ever. And again, we set a goal at the end of the year to give away $300,000 to our local missionaries to see God's gospel spread locally and globally and to show some compassion for people in different parts of the world. And you guys gave $343,000. I mean, come on. I mean, one more time, can we thank all the people who have been so generous to our church this last year? Yeah. We would not be in this building that we bought last year were it not for you. So thank you so much for being such a generous church. Practice number seven. How am I doing on time? Ooh, okay. Uh, Spirit empowered. Now, in your notes, it says spirit led. But last night, the spirit led me to change that. To be spirit-empowered, okay? Because I thought, that sounds a little better. And I think it's more what we need. Um, This is relying on the leadership and the power of the Holy Spirit to obey Jesus' commands in our daily lives. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is a reminder that this whole thing about being disciples to make disciples, we can't do it by ourselves. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. So New Year's Day, I got stressed out. Uh, we had Christmas, that's always really a busy season for pastors. And then uh, we had like a day off as a family. Then we drove one day to Iowa. We were there a day and a half, drove back. And with kids, it's not a vacation, okay? Especially when you're driving 10 hours one way. So we were kind of tired, but I'm an Enneagram 3. I love goals. So I'm like setting goals for family vacations and, you know, financial goals. And, and then thinking about where God's leading us as a church. And I, as I thought about those goals, I started getting super stressed out. I told Chris, I go, I'm like stressed out, and it's just, it's just January 1. I got 364 more days to go. I'm like so stressed out. And, and then I, I sensed the Holy Spirit kind of give me a nudge. I, I felt like the Spirit was saying, just chill out. Just trust me. And just be with me right now. All you have to do is just be in this moment and trust me for this moment. And so here at Restoration, we have this tool that we use, and I used it in that moment. We call it spiritual breathing. And so when we find ourselves like in the flesh, we're like, we're trying to do stuff in our own will, our own power, and we're getting exhausted and cranky and, and, and anxious. We just breathe that stuff out, man. Just. And 
then we breathe in the Holy Spirit. We just ask the Holy Spirit in that moment to fill us and to empower us and to lead us. And relying on the Holy Spirit's power and filling, it causes us to relax. We feel it in our bodies. And we realize all we have to do is be led in that moment to the next thing the Holy Spirit wants us to do. And as we do that, we grow and we see God do amazing things. We're going to do a series next week titled, Teach Us to Pray. It's a prayer that the disciples prayed to Jesus. Lord, teach us to pray. Next week, we're going to learn more about how to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, how how to pray as individuals and as a a church. I want to end uh, with a quote that had a really big impact on me this week. The quote is by James Mishner. He said, hell is running into the man you could have been. I don't know why, but that just haunted me. I shared that with a friend. He said, that just made a chill go up my spine. What we're talking about today is not just a vision for our church. It's not just about making more disciples and having a global impact. We're talking about becoming a certain kind of person. We're talking about the image of God being restored in our lives. We're talking about becoming more like Jesus. As we live for his vision, as we practice the practices that he practiced, we become more like him. Now, there's a lot of ways to think about hell. And there's many biblical ways to think about hell. I think that's a pretty good definition. You know, I'm, I'm going, getting along in years. I don't have a lot of time left. I don't want in the future to bump into somebody and I go, man, if I just would have practiced these practices and relied on the Holy Spirit, I could have become like that guy. I want to be that guy. So my restoration family, let's commit to this vision together. Let's seek God, each of us individually, seek Him with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind because He deserves that. Let's all try to make a disciple. Let's all of our simple churches start, try to start more simple churches. Let's realize this vision can't happen unless we persistently pursue God's plan in partnership with one another. Let's realize that the greatest benefactors are us. That we'll become more like Jesus. Because the greatest gift we can give God is who we are becoming this next year. Amen? So here's my ask. If you would, uh, take out your phones right now. Take a picture of that QR code. If you're watching online, there is a phone number. You can text to this phone number right here. This is the church phone number, by the way. You might put this in your phone. Because throughout the year, uh, we're going to text you things. And we'll give you spiritual reward points if you receive our messages this year. Uh, But church online, go to the phone number. Everybody else use the QR code. And what we're asking you to do is ceremonialize, becoming partners together and with God to see his vision for our church become a reality this year. So it's going to take a little time. Go ahead and fill that out. It's going to take you to our database called Church Teams. Put in your contact info. Even if you're in our database, please do this again because it'll, this will put it, uh, you in a separate file. We'll know who our partners are. But we want to know who's with us this year. Like who's saying, this is my spiritual family. I'm committing to partner with the people in this room and the other hundreds of people that go to our church to be a disciple who makes disciples this year. Give you some time to do that. Church online, give you some time to do that. And then what you'll see is you'll see the seven practices and you'll hit tabs if you want and you can see the tools and use those tools. What I encourage you to do is after you sign up to be a partner, then go home today with that sheet of paper with those tools and kind of work on your spiritual growth plan. And just ask God, of these practices, what do you want me to work on? And I would encourage you to just pick one at first. 
Don't overwhelm yourself. Just try one practice that you need to grow in. Ask the Spirit, which one is that? And start working on it. Make sense? Okay. Can we thank the people around us right now who are becoming partners? Just put our hands together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the amazing year you gave us last year. We thank you for the stories of freedom and transformation that we heard all the time. We, we thank you for all the people that came into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, whose whole eternity has been rearranged because of that, that commitment. We thank you for letting us be a part of a movement that doesn't require buildings and budgets. Like people are like, they're starting churches all over our city, even today, this week. This movement is growing. It's a movement of God. Father, we, we don't take credit for it. We humble ourselves before you right now. We thank you that you are the God of this movement. And Father, we ask that this year you do even more than we ever we could ask or imagine. That we'd see you move again in beautiful, amazing ways. And that your glory would cover Denver and cover the world like the waters cover the seas. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name.